0: Well, good to see all of you here today. You get, uh, I don't know, merit badges for making it here this morning. feels a little bit more like Saturday night than Sunday morning, but uh, uh, I want to start by, um, by thanking you for your response at the end of last year. I, I put out a, an appeal with like 48 hours to go, and two really exciting things happened out of that. First of all, I said we're $200,000 behind where we need to be, and so we're looking just, it's not the end of our fiscal year. We're, we're on a fiscal year, not a calendar year, but December's a huge sort of part of our year. And so I put this note out there and said, hey, we need to try and get $200,000 in the next 48 hours. And uh, we got 190000 of the 200000 in, which is just great news and allows us to move forward and, and and sort of carry the momentum of the fall forward. Uh, more exciting is the Advent conspiracy uh, giving that happened. Between the, um, the money that had already been pledged by the Global Missions Committee and the money that was given here by you, we actually have more money than uh, we had hoped. And so we can do everything that we set out to do build the school, fully furnish it, we, uh, we dig the well, we uh, have uh, motorcycles for the pastors, all of that, and we have additional funds that we can give uh, and direct to other people in need. So it was a great uh, year end. Thank you for all of that. Well, uh, you are <clears throat> forgiven if you don't realize this, but we're actually in a study of the book of Luke. It's been a while. We ended uh, in July, took a break, and then in the fall, we went into the seven deadly sins, and then we rolled into the Advent conspiracy, and so it's been a few months. Uh, this is actually the 19th message in our study of the Gospel of Luke. In the first 18, we established a number of points, it said that there are four Gospels, four divinely inspired first century accounts written to persuade us that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one through whom we can be reconciled with God, forgiven, gain eternal life. Matthew wrote primarily for the Jews. Mark wrote with a little bit of a Roman feel. John clearly was focusing on those who had been influenced by Greek philosophy. Luke, who also writes Acts. Luke, who's a medical doctor and a bit of a historian. Luke writes for the Gentiles. Initially, a man named Theophilus, but everybody beyond that. Theophilus, I argued, was a uh, wealthy government official who actually funded Luke's study. Luke spent several years, it looks to us, like uh, traveling around, going to these spots, Interviewing the witnesses and then uh, filing his report. So, the Gospel of Luke is the report that Luke filed initially for Theophilus. We saw that it opened with uh, the silence being broken when the angel Gabriel, after 400 years of silence from heaven, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, a poor uh, small town priest who he and his wife are well past childbearing age, but the angel says God has heard your prayers and is going to give you a son. And this son will be the one who will pave the way for Jesus, the Savior of the world, to follow. Uh, We then saw uh, how that same angel went then to Mary, a young girl and told her that she was going to be the one that would give birth to the Savior himself. Uh, We saw uh, a little bit then about Uh, Reactions to this, uh, reactions by Elizabeth, reactions by Mary, reactions by Joseph, who finds out that his fiance is expecting a child. We then uh, jump to the birth and early days of John the Baptist, which is followed by the birth and early days of Jesus. And we see again responses to Christ's birth. This time it's angels and shepherds and Simeon and Anna and other people. All of this messaging that Jesus is a very special, unique fulfillment. We then uh, jump ahead 12 years. We had a brief little window into Christ's life at the age of 12, which showed us that he's an exceptional boy, but also that he's doing everything that that you could expect someone who is going to perfectly fulfill the law to do. From there, uh, we jump another 18 years to the ministry of John the Baptist, who's a bit of a rock star traveling around Israel preaching, calling people to repent outside the temple powers and structure, and, uh, and and he's got a radical message. Then it's the genealogy that Luke gives us, different than Matthew's genealogy, but also there to argue that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Hebrew Scriptures. Finally, we then got to uh, the 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 public launching of Christ's ministry. He's baptized in the Jordan River, heads out into the desert for 40 days where he is uh, praying and fasting to prepare for his ministry. At the end of that, he's tempted by Satan. He survives that temptation, and that's where we stopped. That led us, the, the old idea of temptation led us into a study of temptation called Seven, where we looked at the seven deadly sins, Which are not the seven worst sins, but they are seven types or categories of temptation that we face. And uh, today we pick up as Jesus begins preaching. Jesus is traveling around in Galilee, the northern part of Israel, preaching and teaching, and generally amazing people with what he says and what he does. Few things. Just to bring everybody up to the same page, one, if you're interested in any of that review, I'll remind you, all of the messages, uh, audio and the manuscripts of the sermons, indeed more than I preach, is always online, free, you can go and look at that. Secondly, it's time to get your small groups out of their Christmas hiatus uh, the, the study is back on, discussion questions are posted. I do this three-minute little video summary every week of the sermon to help launch your small group study so it's time to get your studies going. Um, and then just so you know, this series comes out of Luke 4 and 5 called Amazed. Uh, this will take us up to the, the Sermon on the Plain, which is Luke's sort of rendition of the Sermon on the Mount. That will be a new series. But uh, in this series, Amazed, what we're looking at is the, is the, the way that Jesus sort of systematically advertises his power. Right? He's not another teacher. He claims to be the Messiah. That's what we'll see today. He has power over evil. We're going to see he has a plan that includes changing the whole world. He, we're then going to see his power over sickness, power over death power over nature, right, he just in a series of ways is making it clear, amazing people with different sort of revelations, different snapshots of who he is. And so uh, we pick up there today in Luke chapter 4 uh, beginning with verse 14, Jesus has been on the road perhaps as long as a year when he comes back to his hometown. Nazareth, goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. The synagogue is sort of the local congregation. The temple's in Jerusalem. That's big. That's what Solomon built. That's what Herod the Great is expanding massively. That's where you go for the sacrifices, the Passover. Every village that had at least 10 families had a synagogue. This was sort of where you went for a variety of things. But on the Sabbath, you went there for effectively a church service. You would pray, read scripture, there would be a sermon, that happened. Jesus is invited back uh, to Nazareth, or he goes to Nazareth, he's invited on the Sabbath to preach. He gives a message that is uh, so shocking that they try to kill him at the end. So, we're reading now Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph? Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Two uh, small points to make here before we get to the main point. Two things to note at the beginning of 2014. First of all, It was Jesus' custom, verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. It was his pattern, his practice to go effectively to church, to worship God every week. That was the cadence of his life. As we look at a new year, with all the hopes and aspirations and all of the dreams for 2014, let me just say to you that if you want to take ground in the ways that matter, right, one of the things that you'll do is adopt the custom that was Christ's of showing up for worship every week. Right? The, the whole world has adopted the revelation of God that came through the Jews, that on six days you work and on the seventh you have a day that is holy. That means set aside, it's different. There are are countries, there are cultures that have tried to embrace a different calendar. The Soviets tried to enforce a 10-day calendar. It didn't work, right? This is the way, this this is the way God has wired the world. This was God's practice, this is to be... Our practice. It was Christ's custom that on six days we do everything else, and there is a day, not for God's sake, <laughs> but for our sake, that we realign, that we pray, that we we think, we 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 come for for an exposition of, of the apostles' teaching, God's word, right? This is this is what we're expected to do. And if You want to take the kind of ground that you want to take, I would suggest that this has to be part of it. This is a necessary, though not sufficient, but a necessary part of what 2014 should look like. And I would suggest that you just make it um, a a no-brainer. In in an interesting book called How Will I Measure My Life, Clayton Christensen, a professor at Harvard Business School, um, teaches strategy. Christensen, who famously on the last day of his class, takes the, the principles of strategy that he's been teaching for corporate America and has the students apply them to his life, their lives. Uh, Christensen tells a story that when he was a student in grad school, he was a Rhodes Scholar, he went to Oxford, he was playing on the basketball team. And the basketball team did very well, and they moved to the national championship right, the title game, and it ends up that the title game is on Sunday, and Christensen had made a, 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 just made a commitment to himself that he would not ever play basketball on Saturday, right. I'm not suggesting that this is a practice we all need to adopt. It was his commitment that 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 day would be special in a way that he would never play sports. Well, the pressure from the team right, the pressure from the school, the pressure from everybody to make just this one exception for the national championship game, right, he said was incredible. But he didn't waver. And he looks back and says it was one of the best decisions he made because you either rule your life by convictions or by exceptions. And he said exceptions just makes it so much more complicated because you've got to make your decision every single time. Just, he said, just lock in on what matters and make that your practice. So the first thing I would point out there would be uh, the time of gathering in God's wor- house. The second would be uh, the, the, the priority they gave to God's word. Jesus reads from the scroll and then sits down. Okay, because it was the practice in the Jewish synagogue in some uh, temples today, the practice in some churches today, especially when it comes to reading out of the Gospels, that everybody stands to make a statement about the priority, about the authority that is found in God's Word. I don't, I don't think we have to stand to do that, but I will say this. Right? You need to read the book. And if you're looking for something to do in 2014 that will materially change who you are... We can't change our heart, but there are things that we can do that position us to be changed. Reading the Bible 10 minutes a day, praying 10 minutes a day, will, will be transformative in your life. And so we see the priority uh, that is given to God's Word. We don't worship it. The Bible is not God, but it points us to God. It is a divinely inspired Uh, It is God's message to us, so just in the margin here of this message, I will highlight these two data points, Uh, and you might say, well, you're really sort of piling it on at the beginning of the year here, all these things to do, Uh, I would simply say, these are two of the five things uh, we have been saying you need to do for the last five years, and I would argue they've been in place for 2,000 years, worship, connect. Through friendships of people who love God and love you, grow habits, your spiritual practices of Bible study and prayer, uh, serve and share. Worship, connect, grow, serve, and share. We just get two of them right here in this passage. Okay, so Jesus uh, is invited to teach, comes into the synagogue. He's the hometown hero. Everybody's there. No doubt the place is packed. They hand him the scroll. He reads out of Isaiah. Uh, We don't know whether he reads an assigned text or whether he chooses this text. But what he reads is a messianic prophecy. The book of Isaiah, especially the last part of it, chapters 40 through 66, is filled with prophecies about the Messiah. In fact, the forty through sixty-six is sometimes just referred to as the Suffering Servant section. There's so many references to the coming Messiah that some call the book the fifth gospel. So Jesus reads out of this, um, and it is a it is a um, passage written seven hundred years before Christ was born. But it is a passage that talks about him, right? And again, Isaiah is the book that gives us us Isaiah 53 where we have all this about Christ clearly dying on the cross, right? Where, Where Isaiah writes... Prophetically, he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. We considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment uh, that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Right? This is, this is all prophetic stuff in the book of Isaiah. Jesus reads a specific section out of Isaiah that uh, comes out of the last few chapters. Isaiah fifty. Uh, 8 in Isaiah 61 and the specific section he reads says the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor he reads this passage he rolls up the scroll he hands it back to the assistant he sits down and he says You have a front row on the pivot point of history, right? Today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your presence. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one Isaiah was writing about 700 years ago. Now, in fairness, what Jesus does in this sermon is is more than that. He, he starts by being very clear about what kind of Messiah he's going to be. The, the Jews are looking for a political military leader who's going to overthrow Rome, you know, bring them back to the glory days of King David. And that is not at all what Jesus is going to do or is interested in doing. He gives them no reason to think that. He reads from a passage that says, I am sent here to bring good news to the poor. We're going to hear about the poor, materially poor and spiritually poor, but we're going to hear about the materially poor throughout the Gospel of Luke. It comes up over and over. So I'm here to bring good news to the poor. I'm here to bring liberty to the captives. right? They might hear, we're the captives to Rome, but what he's talking about is those who are captive to sin and evil, to death. I'm here to bring sight to the blind which will include physical sight, we'll see that healing coming up, but is clearly more powerfully a metaphor of, I'm here to reveal God's plan, right, to help you understand what's going on, and then to bring liberty uh, to the oppressed. It's common in Hebrew poetry to repeat points, and so we get this idea, again, of freedom. So part of what Jesus does here in the very... uh, in, in this sermon is to be clear about what kind of Messiah he is. The big thing that he does is to be clear that he's the Messiah. Right? So he, he says, in essence, right, I'm the one that Moses was, was recording God's promise in Genesis 3, right? the seed of woman who has come to defeat evil. I'm the one that, that was promised by God the Father to Abraham. Abraham that there would be one, right, the seed of Abraham, not seeds plural, but the seed of Abraham who would be a blessing to the whole world. That's me. I'm the one that all the prophets have been talking about. I'm the fulfillment of this passage here in Isaiah 60. I'm the Messiah, right? People will occasionally claim that Jesus doesn't claim to be God, okay? He's not claiming to be God at this moment, but what we're gonna see is Jesus make the biggest claims possible consistently and throughout the gospels he's going to make the very biggest claims that can be made now there's a third thing that that he does and that is to make it clear that he is he's going to be his own man he is not going to be a lapdog and that is is what he adds on so he gives this message the people initially are amazed, and they're speaking well of him. You can imagine. You know, young, dynamic, authoritative, winsome, hometown boy has come in, and, and here he is, and everybody's excited, and he, he, he's preaching. And then he starts to make these claims, and you can hear a little bit of the confusion in their voice, right? Wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph's son? Right? Lived three houses down Played point guard on the team. Took a lot of woodworking classes, right? Isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus then, you know, sort of speaks specifically to that. Doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, physician heal yourself, right? Show us the kinds of miracles that you've heard that I've been doing in, in other parts of, the, of Israel, right? We're, hey, we're, we're your friends, right? We grew up with you classmates, your hometown boys, right right nepotism is not just a chicago thing it's everywhere we want some privileges here and jesus says um no i'm i'm not going to do that and he might it he might have been able to get away with it just being a bad day had he stopped there but he then goes on and he tells two stories out of the old testament first kings 17 and second kings 5 And these stories are about times when God bypassed the Jews to show favor to non-Jews. So the first comes through Elijah. Uh, Elijah's the prophet at the time of King Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah's the one... Who, because Ahab is so wicked, God has him say to Ahab, the rains are going to stop. It's not going to rain again until, Elijah says, until I say so. And then he goes and hides, right? And he's, he's hidden for years. And there's a drought. And it's during this drought that uh, <clears throat> he is going to befriend a widow and walk up to her and say, you know, hey, I'm hungry. Please fix me something to eat. And she says, okay, well. Uh, I'm about to fix the last meal we have. My son and I are going to eat this and then die. And he goes, I- I'm good. I'll take care of this. And supernaturally, he will provide for this widow. So what Jesus says is, look, there were many widows in Israel during this drought. God didn't have his prophet go to any of the Jewish widows. He went to this non-Jewish widow. And then he tells the story of, of Naaman, who Elisha, who follows Elijah, the, the next prophet in line. Elisha is, is the messenger for God's healing for Naaman, who is a uh, military commander for Syria suffering from leprosy. And he's healed. And, and Jesus says, look, there were many people suffering from leprosy in Israel, many Jews that had leprosy. And God didn't have Elisha direct a healing word to any of them, but to this Syrian. And the response of the people is that they are furious. They get up, drove him out of town, verse 28, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd on his way. There were two ways that you would would kill a prophet or two common ways the Jews would kill people. One is that they would would stone them, right, throw rocks at them. The other is that they could take them to these cliffs and throw them onto the rocks. Uh, I went to this spot in uh, Nazareth. It's a housing development at the moment, but there's a little end of the street. You can go, and they go, this is the spot where we think that they brought Jesus. It's not, it's not a huge cliff by any means, but apparently they would tie people's hands behind their back and push them headfirst off of this cliff. Um, I, I picked up a rock from there, just as sort of a little m- reminder that um, Jesus preached and the response of the people was to want to kill him, right? I mean, that, that was their response. They're so furious at what he said. He was not ever someone who could be controlled by the crowd. He was clear right at the very beginning, right? I'm the Messiah, but I'm not the kind of Messiah you think I am. I'm not going to do the things you think, and and I'm not going to back down from my claims or the fight that is going to unfold. And it is uh, It is an amazing passage, and uh, there are a number of things that we could focus on. Uh, There are a number of aspects of of this passage that uh, deserve more time and attention. I, I want to just be sure you're clear that the response of the people was so harsh and so so quickly he moved from popularity to the more they understood what he was saying, how disruptive it was. There was a very uh, quick decision. I, I want to be sure you get that, even as I want to emphasize that this is just one in a series of things that Jesus is going to do to define himself and to amaze the people who are paying attention, to make it very clear to everyone that he is not simply a teacher. in today 's text, it, it's the claim to be the fulfillment of prophecy. Next, we're going to see him in a different synagogue casting out a demon showing his power over evil. Then we're going to see him share a little bit of his vision for why he's here, and it is to change everything. Right? and th- and then He's going to heal people, right? He has power over sickness. He's going to raise somebody from the dead. He has power over death. He's going to calm a storm. He has power over nature, right? The, the, the gospel of Luke was written to persuade us that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one who changes everything and to force a decision. Right? That's one of the things that you see about Jesus, is that he forces us to be with him or not. And I want to I, I be sure you're clear how bold these claims are. No one makes bigger claims than Jesus. No one. He claims... To be God, he claims to be eternal, he claims to have the power of of life and death in his hands, of our eternal destiny in his control. He claims ultimate power. You can't make bigger claims than Jesus makes. And it forces us to decide am I in or not? And I want to say at the beginning of 2014 if you're in, go in. Right? If this is true, (laughs) then run after it. You're not going to find a bigger claim or a bigger promise than you get with Christ. And if you're not sure, right, then go after that because other people will claim to be God, but no one who is the most significant person to ever live, no one who gives us the greatest ethical system ever, no one who teaches with the power that Jesus teaches, no one who fulfills all the prophecies like Jesus fulfills, no one of his stature, no one who has changed history like he has changed history, no one of his stature comes anywhere close to making anywhere near the claims that Christ makes. He is unique in this sense. So you owe it to yourself to figure out whether you're in or not. And if you don't know, then Alpha's coming up, starting in just a couple weeks on Tuesday night, and we go right after these questions. Can I trust this book? Who is Jesus? Why did he die? What does the Christian life look like? What's expected of me? Those are the questions we're going after, eight dinner discussions, debates. If you've if you're if you've got questions, if you're a skeptic, if you're hostile, if you've got friends that are hostile but would come at just once, uh, Alpha is a great next step for them because Jesus wants us in or um, out. He forces that decision. And I would say we go all in, and we celebrate who Christ is, and we worship. And one of the things that that allows us to do is to come to this table and remember and proclaim again his death, the pivot point of all of history. So as those who are going to help distribute the communion elements come forward. Let me say, as I always do as we come to this table, that um, we recognize an open communion table at Christ Church. That means that anyone who is a Christ follower is invited uh, to come to partake of the bread and the cup. You do not have to be a member of this local congregation. but we do um, hold to the fact that you need to be a Christ follower and that we need to um, examine our hearts and we we, we need to be open to the Spirit of God to highlight sin and we need to be quick to reconcile the relationships that are fractured in our lives before we come to this table. So let me pray for us and then we'll distribute the elements. Please take both the bread and the cup. Hold on to them. Uh, until I come back and we'll partake together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for your love on display in your son, in his life, in his death. We thank you for the word that you have given us that uh, helps us to understand, helps us to see in the way that Jesus the Messiah has come to bring sight to the blind. We have been blind. We now see things that we did not see. We thank you for that revelation. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your your teaching. We thank you, most of all, for your life and for your death, for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we praise and acknowledge you as Lord and King. You are the Messiah. You are the one that Isaiah was writing about 700 years before you showed up. We, we proclaim that, and Spirit of God, we pause now to ask that you would highlight um, darkness in our hearts, bring to mind those things that we need to confess again, um, help us to the extent that we can uh, to be soft and humble as we come to this table. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.